Psalm 36, let me read the whole psalm. For the director of music of David, the servant of the Lord, an oracle is within my heart concerning the sinfulness of the wicked. There is no fear of God before his eyes, for in his own eyes he flatters himself too much to detect or hate his sin. The words of his mouth are wicked and deceitful. He ceased to be wise and to do good. Even on his bed he plots evil. He commits himself to a sinful course and does not reject what is wrong. We'll look at the remaining, I'll read the remaining verses when we come to them, but I want us to look at this psalm as we think about the choices that we are faced with. And it's a very simple choice, and you have it if you are a Christian. If you're like me, I come to God's Word, and I have this choice all over again. I can, uh, if you're not a Christian, you've got this choice as well. It's, it's a bit like you have a meal placed before you, and you can choose to eat it, or you can choose not to eat it. This is slightly different here because this is speaking of feasting. David is talking about this. There are two meals that are being placed before us. Not in a literal sense. We eat and feast and drink in lots of different ways. For example, uh, I was in Sky yesterday and I drove back across, I have no idea what the roads were, but... <laughs> It was, it was really, really interesting. It was absolutely gorgeously beautiful, Torridon uh, and that whole area of Westeros. It's, uh, I, I teased the people across in Sky and Westeros because I'm actually from Easteros, and I said that Westeros has the beautiful scenery and Easteros has the beautiful people, but they didn't appreciate that. But it really was stunning scenery. And at one point, we came over uh, brow of a hill looking onto the, the snow-covered mountains, and the loch was frozen, and the, it was so clear that the mountains were, kind of the light from the mountains was bouncing off and reflecting a perfect mirror in this frozen loch, and there were cars just stopping in the middle of the roads, and you do, you, you, you have to stop and uh, look, and in a sense, you're feasting your eyes on that, we understand that expression. You feast your eyes on something. Or we might say, come and listen to this, and, and you, you drink it in. Sometimes you can be reading something, and you just drink it in. So when we use the imagery of feasting and drinking, as we're using here, in a spiritual sense, it's really, really important. Because what God is saying to you is, I'm, I'm giving you a choice between two meals. And you choose which meal you're going to take. And you will choose. You will choose one of them. By rejecting the one, you choose the other. By choosing the one, you reject the other. Verses 1 to 4 is concerned with the philosophy of the wicked or the, the meal of the wicked. We don't like that expression. There are four things that are ingredients, if you like, in this meal. When we reject God, when we choose this side, if you like, we are choosing something else. We are choosing to listen to our own heart. We are deceiving ourselves. And ultimately, we have no real values, no lasting values. Number one is this. There is no fear of God. The fear of the Lord is the beginning and wisdom, and knowledge of the Holy One is understanding. Immediately, there are people who say, I don't like that because 
I don't want to fear God. I don't want a God I have to fear. I want a God that I can love. But if you have a God you can love that you don't fear, you have a teddy bear. You don't have God. God is so awesome and so amazing and so astounding and so beyond our understanding that not to respect, not to stand in awe, not to fear in that sense would be utterly stupid. Not to fear in the sense that we think ourselves equal to God would also be incredibly stupid. You know, some people say that religious people do bad stuff because of their religion. That's true. There are people who do bad things because of their religion. I'm not going to defend religion. But they then go on to say that if you don't believe in God, you believe in nothing, so you do nothing. Now, that's a big mistake. Because if you are an atheist, or you don't believe in God, or you don't accept that there is a God, and you don't live your life in the knowledge that there is a God, if you push away completely this whole aspect of the fear of the Lord, it actually does cause you to do harm. And here's why. Because it removes the restraint from you. It's the lack of the fear of the Lord that frees people to do evil. Do you think that when, if, if Stalin believed that when he died, he was going to have to give account to God for what he did, that he would have killed 30 million people? No, he thought he was answerable only to himself. He thought if he could kill people who were his rivals, he could get them out of the way. If he believed that one day he would stand before God and answer, then he would have a different kind of fear, not a fear that caused him to kill. The issue for most people is just simply this, and the issue for you is not whether God exists, but whether He matters. It's not His reality, but His relevance. And I think for those of us who profess to be Christians as well, what we need to do is we need to just stop saying the mantra, I believe in God, I believe in Jesus, and listen to the question which says, so what? What difference does it make? The philosophy of the wicked, the meal of the wicked, the first ingredient is there is no fear of God. The second is flattery and self-deceit. That's what this, in his own eyes, he flatters himself too much to detect or hate his sin. Inwardly, he or she are their own judge and jury. We think we are great. Our reference, our point of reference is ourselves. And sometimes it's worthwhile stopping and asking, what do you think of yourself? On Friday on Radio 4 on Question Time, I think it was all four panelists who did this. It was certainly three of them. The panelists were in a school, and they were asked, the last question they were asked was, if you had to give any advice to this girls' school, to the girls in this school, what advice would you give? Do you know this? I, I, I was, my mouth was open at this because it was just breathtaking stuff. Every single one, no matter what political party, no matter what journalist, do you know what they said? They said, the advice I would give is, believe in yourself. Believe in yourself. And I thought, what a burden to load upon people. Whatever, they think that's great, and they think that's cute, and they think that's wonderful, and they think that's meaningful and, and deep and so on. No, because, because it's rubbish. It's false. And for those of us who followed that line and then realized just how much nonsense it is, I mean, you know why they do it, because they don't want people to be 
you know, beating themselves up and be down on themselves and so on. And that's understandable. But ultimately, that advice just leads you to beat yourself up. Because you believe in yourself. It's a mirage. It's an illusion. It's a great freedom for those of us who've gone through that. Not to have to believe in myself. Such people... Paul says in Romans 16, 18, are not serving our Lord Christ, but their own appetites. By smooth talk and flattery, they deceive the minds of naive people. We flatter people. We flatter ourselves. In his own eye, he flatters himself too much to detect or hate his sin. We are the masters of a thousand and one excuses for our sin. We are the masters of self-justification. We diss other people so that we can justify ourselves. We moan about other people, so we avoid looking at ourselves. We look at ourselves, and the slightest thing that's wrong with us, we can instantly excuse it. We are the masters of self-deceit. On this ingredient, in this meal, there is no fear of God, and we flatter ourselves, and we kid ourselves. Third is speech, false speech. The words of his mouth are wicked and deceitful. When the heart is corrupt and flatters itself, the tongue follows. Their tongue is a deadly arrow. It speaks with deceit. With his mouth, each speaks cordially to his neighbor, but in his heart, he sets a trap for him. You know this. You know that someone will come to you, and they'll come into your house, and you will talk to them, and you will say, welcome, and you'll be really nice to them, and then they'll go away, and you'll turn to your partner or to your friend and say, what a pain that person is. You don't say that to them, but you say it to somebody else. And you're on the phone to a relative, and you're moaning to that relative about another relative. And you know full well that as soon as the phone's put down, they're going to be on the phone to that relative moaning about you. And so it goes on. We just yuck, 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 moan, complain, false speech. I remember when I was struggling with the whole idea of being a Christian, should I be a Christian or not, and should I follow Jesus or not, I went to a pub to watch a football match, and um, it was just down the corner from where I was living, and I'd been struggling in my Christian faith anyway, and thinking, you know, maybe this is, maybe it'd be better not to be a Christian, and I sat in that pub, and I was watching the football, and the only space I could get was beside a table of young ladies who were out for the night out. And I couldn't help, because I was sitting at their table, a lugging into their conversation. And it was one of the most, I mean, it was better than the football, far more entertaining at one level, because it was just the most amazing conversation. They were all dolled up to the nines. They're all yip, 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 laughing away and everything. And one of them would get up to go to the toilet. And as soon as she went, the other ones, I'll not use the word, but you know what I mean, female dog, they went beep, 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 about her. And then she would come back, and another one would get up and go to the toilet, and then they would all beep, 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 beep at her, and every single, they went through the whole palaver, all of them. And I, you know this, I sat there and I thought, the human race, I, I don't want to be part, this is horrendous. I mean, it was just, they were so gross about each other when they were away, and just nice when they were there. False speech, that's part of this meal. And then the fourth thing is the failure to do good. The fool says in his heart, there is no God. They are corrupt. Their deeds are vile. There is no one who does good. The Lord looks down from heaven on the sons of men to see if there are any who understand, any who seek God. All have turned aside. They have together become corrupt. There's no one who does good, not even one. 
The psalm in Psalm 36, the psalmist says that even on his bed, he plots evil. The place where he should rest becomes the place where he plans evil. And what's being said here is there is no rejection of the wrong, the failure to do good. Now, this is a very, very subtle distinction. The Bible is not teaching that everyone who's a Christian always does good, or that everyone who's not a Christian always does bad. It's not teaching that. But it's saying that ultimately, ultimate good, that we can do it. And the reason for that is simple. The fool has said in his heart, there is no God. So you have no reason at all to seek to do what is the ultimate good. Now, that's the first meal that is, is set before us. It's one where there's no fear of God. And you might be somebody who's here and you say, I don't, I don't fear God. I don't care. You can say what you want, David. I don't care. The Bible can say whatever it is. I don't care. I have no fear of God. The one that's flattery and self-deceit. I can make it on my own. Or we as a human race can make it. No, we can't. But you delude yourself if you wish. The false speech. Oh, that was lovely. I hated it. The failure to do good. Well, I don't do anything bad. I don't murder people. That's not the point. There are people dying all over the place, and what are you doing about it? That's one meal that you can choose to take, and sadly, many, many people do. The second in verses 5 to 7, your love, O Lord, reaches to the heavens, your faithfulness to the skies, your righteousness is like the mighty mountains, your justice like the great deep. O Lord, you preserve both man and beast. How priceless is your unfailing love. Both high and low among men find refuge in the shadow of your wings. The love of the Lord is contrasted. It's not the wickedness of men contrasted with the goodness of men. It's the wickedness of men contrasted with the love of the Lord. The philosophy and thoughts of the wicked are shallow and almost hidden. The love of the Lord reaches to the heavens. I pray that out of His glorious riches, says Paul in Ephesians 3, He may strengthen you with power through His Spirit in your inner being, so that Christ may dwell in your hearts through faith. And I pray that you, being rooted and established in love, may have power together with all the saints to grasp how wide and how long and how high and how deep is the love of Christ, and to know this love that surpasses knowledge, that you may be filled to the measure of all the fullness of God. Please do not think that you're being set before you two equal meals, one of equal wickedness and a parallel with equal goodness. What is being set before you is, you know, it's like a plastic tube of, I don't know, cheese string or something in contrast with a gourmet steak meal with the best of wine and everything. That's the contrast that's being set. And particularly this thing, the love of the Lord I know that there are Christians, you see, there are non-Christians who say sin, oh, what's that, I don't care. And there are Christians who seem to say the love of God, yeah, I know God loves me, now get on with the practical stuff. This is the practical stuff. That's why Paul says to the Ephesians, I know you're Christians, but I pray that you would know just how wide, how long, how high, how deep. He says, I pray you would have power, not to go out and work miracles, I pray you would have power to know the depth and the breadth and the height and the love of Jesus Christ, to know a love that's beyond knowing. It's like 
the wickedness or, or what I make of my own life is just a wee tiny sand castle. I just empty the bucket of sand and then I'm standing at the mountains at Torridon, just looking up at the mountains and the contrast, there just is, there is no contest at all. The love of the Lord is deep, deep, and deep. And you will spend all eternity trying to fathom its depths. It is impossible, it is impossible to grasp just how deeply God loves you. I spent some time with somebody this week who believes in Jesus, prays to Jesus, but has no assurance that Jesus loves them. It's the most miserable condition to be in. To see and to grasp the love of Jesus is astounding. You came in here this morning. I don't know what you're looking for when you come into this church. I have no idea. God knows. But I know what you need. And what you need is what the disciples needed when some Greeks came to Andrew and said, we want to see Jesus. We need to see. We need to taste. We need to feast on the incredible, deep, deep love of Jesus Christ. It really is astounding. You know, if you're not a Christian, you say, well, why should I commit myself to Jesus? Let me tell you why. Because you are committing yourself to somebody whose love for you is so wonderful that you will never, ever really be able to grasp just how one, every time you think, well, I've got there, that's as much as I can understand, or that's as much as, there's just more. There just keeps being more. You don't become a Christian, and then it's downhill all the way. It's as though you get married, and the Bible does use that analogy. It's as though you get married, and on the day of your wedding, your, your, your heart is full, and you're brimming with love, and you're saying, oh, it's just a perfect day, and the rest of your wedding's downhill, you think. But what if it's not? What if the perfect day is just a beginning? What if you love your partner more in five years than you did the day you got married? You love them more in 10 years and, and you think, well, that's impossible because my heart is full. Yeah, but what if your heart expands? What if you grow? What if you develop? And it's the same with the love of Jesus Christ. You think, I, I've become a Christian. It's wonderful. It's the greatest thing in the world. How can it be possible to to experience this anymore? And God's answer to you is you, you're just dipping your toe in God never fails, he never flatters, he never speaks falsely. 2 Timothy 2.13, if we are faithless, he will remain faithful, for he cannot disown himself. I know, I know that some of you, as you consider becoming Christians, say, what if I can't keep it up? What if I can't keep going? Or even, what if God lets me down? Understand and grasp this, the minute you place yourself in God's hand, he is faithful to you forevermore, he never lets you go, no matter what you do. When you commit yourself to God, don't think it's about your commitment. It really is about his commitment to you. And that's an extraordinary thing. It's a wonderful thing. Because some of you are Christians and you come and you want to take communion and you're saying, but I've let God down. And God says, I know. But I'll let him down again. And God says, I know. That's what it's all about. 
It, it, there's this incredible assurance that comes from the fact, not that I am faithful, not that my faith will survive, not that I will carry on forever, but that God is faithful. And God will never, ever let me down. I remember listening to uh, an African-American guy singing a most incredible, just a simple song. Jesus has never failed me yet. And he sang it in the light of his own experience, which in his life was pretty horrendous. But that's what we have. God is faithful and God is righteous. His righteousness is like the mighty mountains. That's the expression of God's holiness shown in his moral principles and just practices. That's the Andes or the Himalayas, strong and unmoving. Paul says in the gospel, a righteousness from God is revealed, a righteousness that is by faith from first to last, just as it is written, the righteous will live by faith. When we take communion, you sometimes you get people, and I'm going to explain how we take communion and why we should take it and so on. But sometimes you get people who say, oh, I can't take communion because I'm not good enough. You're never going to make it. You've got to go the mountain and the most righteous human being on earth It's just going to be a molehill. You've got to go the mountain. How do you get there? In the gospel, a righteousness from God is revealed. A righteousness that is by faith from first to last. It's as though faith is like the chairlift that gets you to the top. You want to be religious and make your own stairway to heaven. You are going to really, really struggle and you're never going to make it. You want to accept the righteousness that comes through Jesus Christ. And you've got the righteousness of God. His priceless and unfailing love. One other thing in this. God is a shelter. We shelter under his wings. Both high and low among men find refuge in the shadow of your wings. Again, I don't know if you feel battered. If all the things that are happening to you just now. If you observe things on the news and you think, I can't watch this. I'm going to hide away from this. And then in your own life, you don't want to know about the illnesses. You don't want to know about the problems. You don't want to know about the difficulties. You don't want to get out of your bed tomorrow morning to go to work. You don't want to meet that person. You just want to curl up in a bowl and die. You want to go under your rug, your duvet with a cup of hot chocolate and, and you know, sit and watch Friends DVDs till the end of time. Just, just to disconnect just to be safe, just to be sheltered. I'm not mocking that. I'm saying that we all need to be sheltered. But when we put up a shelter against the storm, the hurricane that's coming, it's like a puny little tent that just doesn't survive. What the love of the Lord is, is the shelter from the storm. Jesus said this, Jerusalem, Jerusalem, you who killed the prophets and stoned those sent to you, how often I have longed to gather your children together as a hen gathers her chicks under her wings, but you were not willing. Come in, she said, I'll give you shelter from the storm. And it was a false promise in the Dylan song. But for us, Jesus says that. He invites us in and he gives us shelter from the storm. See, that comes back to the Do you believe in yourself or do you believe in God? Believe in yourself, make your own shelter. It's not going to work, is it? Believe in Jesus and he gives you the shelter and he shelters you and he protects you. And again, I know that some of you, you, 
It's as though Jesus is, is here and he's inviting you. In fact, he is here and he is inviting you. And he's saying, I want to give you shelter. And you're going, no, 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 wait a minute. I, I need to check that I believe you first. I need to do this. I need to judge you. I need to find out if I can make it myself. Why do I need shelter? And he looks and he doesn't compel you and he doesn't force you and he weeps over you and he says, if only you had known what would bring you peace, the love of the Lord. Verses 8 to 12, the last thing, they feast in the abundance of your house. You give them drink from your river of delights, for with you is the fountain of life. In your light we see light. Continue your love to those who know you, your righteousness to the upright in heart. May the foot of the proud not come against me, nor the hand of the wicked drive me away. See how the evildoers lie fallen, thrown down, not able to rise. This is the life you have when you, when you eat what you've basically, when you do your own self-catering or what this world offers you, it's pathetic. What God sets before you is wonderful and when you partake in it, this is what happens. And I'm just going to have to list this. We have life. This is the true life shared. Feasting and drinking from the rivers of delight. We feast. We have this, this, this images of from Eden and the images of the river, God's river, of delights, God's pleasures. You know, th th there are people, and the devil does this, he sells you this lie. On the one hand, there are good people who are Christians, and it's a good thing to be a Christian, but boy, is it boring. And, and you know, it's really kind of miserable and mean, and it's just, you, you kind of work it out. I'll enjoy myself until I'm about to die, then I'll repent and become a Christian, so I'll get the best of both worlds. Okay, that's the kind of thinking that some people have. The devil tells us that he is the author of pleasure. No, he's not. He's not the author of pleasure. He's not the author of delight. God is. It's at God's right hand are pleasures evermore. Psalm 87 verse 7, as they make music, they will sing. All my fountains are in you. It comes from the fountain. Everything comes from a source. What is your source? Is your source yourself and your own heart? Is your source your culture and your community? The trouble is, if it is, your culture and your community, it's all made up of people like you. But what if your source is something different? What if your source is God? What if there is within you a well of water welling up into life? What if this river of delights, it's not one monochrome color. It's a vivid splash of vibrant, different colors that flows from within. What if you suddenly find yourself, even in this light, being dazzled by the beauty in the midst of the ugliness? We have life. Christ gives us life. And again, I say to those of you who are not Christians, get life. Really, get life. And to those of us who are Christians, live life. We have to. We miss out so much. We have light. In God's light, we see light. He says, we see, we experience, we enjoy. In the beginning was the Word. The Word was with God. The Word was God. He was with God in the beginning. Through, all things, through him all things were made. Without him nothing was made that has been made. In him was life. And that life was the light of men. The light shines in the darkness, but the darkness has not understood it. You're one of these people who says, I can't believe in Jesus because I can't see. And Jesus says, but I've come that you might see. Believe in me and you will see. C.S. Lewis's famous adaptation of G.K. Chesterton's quote we believe in the sun not because we see it, but because by it we see everything else. 
We never see Jesus in the light of ourselves. If you do, Jesus will never really be attractive. We see ourselves in the light of Jesus. In your light, we see light. And again, if you're a Christian here and right now you're feeling darkness and despair and discouragement, your solution is not to say, okay, I'm going to brighten up. I'm going to cheer up. I'm going to do, you know, your solution is to see Jesus. And even in the darkest of despair, it can bring you the greatest encouragement. We have love as well. Continue your love to those who know you. We know. It's used in the Hebrew sense of enjoy intimate union with. We know. Somebody will say, David, how do you know Jesus? And what they mean is, how do you know about Jesus? And my answer to that question is, wrong question. I don't know about Jesus. I know Jesus. He's as real to me as my family. He's as real to me as my own life. We know. Hope does not disappoint us because God has poured out his love into our hearts by the Holy Spirit whom he has given us. The love of God is shed shed abroad in our hearts. Now what happens is you have the fact of what God has done. You have the facts of what Jesus has done. As you believe and trust in that, the Holy Spirit works in your life and you are filled with the love of God. I know we say don't go by feelings, don't go by feelings. That statement is true. Don't go by feelings but don't go without feelings either. You need them. Because my prayer is as you take communion this morning, that you would be so aware of the love and beauty and glory and majesty and sacrifice and humility of Jesus Christ, that your heart would be filled with love, that the love of God would be poured out in your hearts by the Holy Spirit. We have law His divine power has given us everything we need for life and godliness through our knowledge of him who called us by his own glory and goodness. Through these, he has given us his very great and precious promises so that through him you may may participate in the divine nature and escape the corruption in the world caused by evil desires. See, law for the Christian is not do this or you're going to perish. Law for the Christian is the Lord guiding us and helping us and guiding us in everything. We have God's righteousness in our heart, your uprightness, your righteousness to the upright in heart. And the other thing we have is liberty. The last part of that psalm talks about how the foot of the proud come against me and the hand of the wicked drives me away. And David says, no, no, that doesn't happen. The world seeks to dominate and subdue. The devil seeks to squash us down. Our own hearts may condemn us, but they won't drive us away nor will the evildoers stand in the day of judgment. They can attack us, but they will never be able to destroy us. We are free. Live as free men, says Peter, but do not use your freedom as a cover-up for evil. Live as servants of God. Look at it in that one sentence. People go, oh, the Bible's full of contradictions. Yeah, they are. Live as free men, live as servants. That's a contradiction. It's a contradiction to people who don't think. Live as free men, live as servants of God. That is freedom. To serve God is fantastic, glorious, liberating freedom. It's back to the the question of who do you believe in? You think you believe in yourself and that's freedom. No, it's not. It's oppression because you can't do what you desire. You think that when you give your life to God that somehow that's slavery. No, it's not. It's freedom. Because he designed you for that. 
He liberates you in a way that you will find uh, absolutely extraordinary. I think that, you know, when you, t- when you look at what the Bible says and, it, and when you grasp it and when you understand it, it seems so obvious. You think, what, why did, what took me so long? I remember when I became a Christian, which is very simple for me, just a recognition that God was God. And my first thought, the Simpsons hadn't been invented then, but I think I invented the duh, because that was my first thought. My first thought was, duh, you idiot. Of course God is there. Of course he's done this. And if he did this for you, then why wouldn't you give your life to him? Why wouldn't you follow him? See, the trouble for so many of us is this. We think when we hear about expressions like giving our life to God and believing in Jesus, we think it's like some kind of contract that we're signing up. And it's not. It's God standing at the bottom of the burning building saying, jump and I'll catch you. It's God reaching out for us. And we're not thinking about signing contracts and working out deals and bargaining with him. We're just simply saying yes. We have this incredible love that reaches to the heavens, a faithfulness to the skies. That's your choice. You choose to rely on your own faithfulness. You choose to rely entirely on your own understanding, which you admit is limited. You choose to follow one of the many religions and philosophies, which in effect human beings have just made up, to try and avoid God. Or you choose to accept what Jesus Christ has done and who he is, and that's it. Just as simple and as straightforward as that. Let's pray. Lord, we thank you for what you have done for us, and we thank you that your love reaches to the heavens, your faithfulness to the skies, your righteousness is like the mighty mountains, your justice like the great deep. Lord, you have preserved us and you have brought us here. We are not here by accident. We thank you for that. We pray that you would forgive us as we confess our sin. We pray, O Lord, that you would accept us as we come to you. And we pray that we would know the love of God shed abroad, poured out in our hearts by your Holy Spirit. Amen.